Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show should prove very interesting. We have two basic topics to take up. One is I still owe you a whole discussion about that cloning of the meats and the pigs and the, all that stuff that's going on in, in the world, and hopefully we'll be able to discuss it a little bit later. And the, before that, I want to discuss something that uh, I was working on recently for the next issue of Kashrus Magazine, which will be out in three weeks, Yimitz Hashem. And uh, the, the topic is Rabbi Moshe Wiener, who uh, recently retired from being the uh, Kashrus coordinator or the rabbinic administrator of the KIC, the Kashrus Information Center of Flatbush. Now, almost nobody listening to me even knows that this group exists or what they did. And Rabbi Wiener was the head of this. I mean, he wasn't the, he wasn't the, the, the from the rabbis of the shuls, but he was the person going around for them for 19 years. And I interviewed him because I wanted to write a story about him. I know him personally, and I know the fine work that he did. And I decided that uh, if he's going now out into whatever he's going to be working on, I felt it's important for people to appreciate who was manning the ship all this 19 years and to realize that a lot was accomplished and to realize that nothing is perfect yet. So I thought it was a very interesting interview, and I snuck in as much as I could from the interview in the short space I have in the magazine to be able to discuss, you know, all these things at length. So let me just explain, first of all, what is KIC? Maybe you all know, maybe you don't know. KIC is a, is a, a group that was set up by the rabbis in, the, in our Flappish community after a terrible incident that occurred some 25 years or more ago when there was a there was a kiddish in a, in one of the top yeshivas here in Flatbush and uh, at the kiddish many dignitaries were there i say dignitaries i mean chashuva rabbanim in our community i don't know what dignitary is in any event all these wonderful people were sitting there and then a waiter leaned over and told one rabbi don't eat the cholent. <laughs> well, why not? He asked him. He said, because that cholent burnt last night and one of the goyim went out to the store where this caterer is and had the key, got in, took out some cholent, brought it in and put it up on Shabbos to finish off cooking for all the people who are here. So, Rabbi, don't eat it. <laughs> That's That was the secret message he shared with this, this well-known rabbi in our community. He was a rabbi of a shul in the neighborhood. So, the rabbi told the others, and they were so upset that a man should give the keys to a non-Jew to be able to go in at will into his store, which means the whole cashless of that of that uh, catering is is not just questionable it's it's not acceptable and that there's a harshkacha and he didn't know about it the caterer didn't you know didn't uh, let let him on with it to him 
And here, this man was able to do this on Shabbos. It's interesting he did it, though. I mean, obviously, you, you know, you, you realize that he felt that he was doing something as a favor for the boss. Because in actuality, it's not his his gefshaft. If there's no chol, there's no chol. If it's burnt, and so let me eat the crusty chol. It's appetizer right now sometimes, right? So what's the, what's the big deal? But you see, when you're doing a kedah fair, it's an absolute busha. And even the waiter or whatever he is, a worker there, he also has that part of that busha. Maybe he put it on wrong. <laughs> it was his fault. In any event, he doesn't want to leave a bad impression. And he's going to go ahead and... And Shabbos wasn't matter to him. But that he had the key and that he had the audacity to go in and take out food from there. He could just as easily put something in there. I mean, it's ridiculous. Absolutely, this, the total cautious was compromised. And these rabbis, there was a whole bunch of them over there, they didn't, didn't sit well with them. And that was the beginning of creating the KIC, which was to be a organization to report back to the rabbis, to check on all the establishments in our neighborhood and to report back to the rabbis. And this has been going on for about 25 years, or maybe more. Well, not much more, but, but something like that. Most of the time, it was Rabbi Wiener. There was, there was a short period of time. It was, a diff, it was the three other rabbis. One of them, actually, is Baruch Steinfeld, who took it over now. So Baruch Steinfeld is back in charge of the KIC. Uh, he's he's going to be going around for them. But still in all, this is, it was a terrible, terrible thing. And they felt they had to create KIC. So in the beginning, it was what we call a mapecha. It was amazing. They went in and they changed and they fought and they did and they, first of all, to get the rishus to go in was a big deal because not, uh, why would Hashkocha let you into their establishments? You're going to look over my back? What are, who are you? And who, how, do, how do I know where you're going to go with all this information? And sometimes, by the way, in the earlier days, they printed up the information and it got out to other people. I mean, people did find those papers that were handed out to rabbis. It, it's never supposed to be given out to the public, but it got out, and there were certain times they officially gave things out to the public. It was very, very interesting. But one thing is for sure, they were looking over the shoulders of the Hashkocha agencies for the last 25 years. Now that said, did they catch everything? No. Did they catch some things? Yes. I'm going to share with you a few of the things that Rabbi Wiener told me that he saw here in Flatbush. And to me, this was one of the most crucial parts of the interview. I stressed it in the writing of it for the magazine, and I want to let everybody here understand how important these few little words are. The question, can you tell us some of the problems you encountered during inspections over the years? Rabbi Wiener, here are some. I found a half-used bar of dairy margin in a meat establishment. Okay. Now, half, right? That means the other half was used in a meat establishment. Now, Rabbi Wiener is not the, was not the Hashkocha. Rabbi Wiener was not the Mashkiach. Where was the Mashkiach? Where was Rabbi Mashkiach? I don't know how long it takes to use up a half a, a half a bar. It could be probably one use. But still in all, are people checking? Why does Rabbi Wiener find it when he comes in for his inspection and the mashkiach, who either is on the premises or nearby, coming in there part of the time? Something. What is going on? Listen to another one. 
tongues that were not deveined. Now that's a good one. That's a real good one. That means that Rabbi Wiener, knows about meat. And many mashkichim know nothing about meat because they weren't trained. They weren't told anything about it. They never had any experience with it. And the, the Hashkacha didn't assume that they should know about it. But how else are they going to know if it was properly deveined? And the, you know, it means because you have to take out of a, you have to take out of a, 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 a tongue, you have to take out certain veins. Now, the only way is if you were trained. You saw it. You saw it done. You saw that it looked before, that it looks afterwards. You get an idea. You'll be able to spot it. If you can't spot it at all, then you're really not a mashkir. We had a situation which, which was absolutely terrible. I mentioned it here on the radio once, so I can mention it one more time. Rabbi Jurevel, good friend, we talked about him last week. Rabbi Jurevel goes out to a certain town. He was invited out there to inspect everything that was going on there. And he did. Inspected the whole thing, getting paid for it. He reports back and everything. He walks into a meat establishment. I mean, it's a, it's a butcher. And he says, Oh, very nice. I see they like to eat chalev in this, in this town. Rabbi says, chalev? He says, sure, this is chalev on a liver. The liver had not had the, the chalev taken off the top of the liver. It was actual chalev on top of the liver. It has to be cut off. He said, what, what are you talking about? We buy very good hashkacha, tremendous hashkacha, and then very good uh, uh, meat business we buy from. They're 100%. And of course, they found out, yes, they're 100%, but they send out from that meat establishment with that Ashkocha, they're sending out livers that had not been trabered, had, had not had the chayla removed, not because they forgot, because that's how they sell it. In other words, they sell it, you could sell it with the chayla removed or with the chayla on. Now, why would you sell it with the chayla on? Because you may cut this much off, and the other guy might cut that much off. If I take off too much, I'm losing money. And and if you don't care, so then you can do less. And this happens, by the way, don't confuse it. It's not just a liver problem. This goes on with steaks. How much did, how much did you take off in the back of the steaks? The rib steaks have to have little pieces removed from it. You have to know how to cut it. It's only certain steaks not not the whole not the whole row but a couple of them near the end you have to remove a certain amount of meat because it's yonik menachelev it is chelev attached to it touches it whatever it is the men gets to remove certain parts over there now everybody has different amounts everybody has different amounts there's all kinds of minogim and, and and all kinds of kabbalists going back to Europe or wherever you come from and that has to be understood so this this hashgacha on this meat business, a major meat company, never removed the chela from the livers. And this city knew nothing about it because not only didn't the mashkiach know, and the owner of the butcher store, <laughs> butcher store didn't know. The owner of the butcher store doesn't know anything about meat. The, the mashkiach didn't know, and the Rav Hamachshir didn't know anything about it. But Rabbi Jorvel, the secret now, Rabbi Jorvel's father was an expert in meat. He, he was, uh, in fact, there was, there's a famous Din Torah that he was, he was brought in as the expert. I was that, that Din Torah. And he, he, he was brought in as an expert uh, in meat. And, you know, that's, that was his Yerusha. So Rabbi Yudhra knew meat 
and in one second he spotted the chalev on top of the on top of the liver. And here we have tongues that weren't trained properly. Well, why not? Whose fault? No training. Next one: pilots that were off. The pilot lights. Now we have tried to get away from pilot lights, meaning that when you you're not allowed to have a non-Jew cook. The Jew has to do the cooking. So well, that would work out well. If you want to be a, like the Sephardim, you have to take the, the Jew has to take the pots and put them on the fire. That's beautiful. But those pots are heavy and things are going on crazy in, in any establishment and the mashkiach has to be here and be there. It's very hard for a regular mashkiach to be able to uh, affect what we call Bishi Yisrael for Sephardim. So, okay, but he has to do something. He could put some salt in, he could shake, he could stir a little bit, he could do something to it. But the easiest way for most people is to turn the pilot lights on. And they turn the pilot lights on when they come in. Every day when they come in, they check and make sure it's working. And they, they turn it on. Sometimes the rabbi will come by in the middle and turn it off and turn it on in the middle of the day just to make sure the pilot light, even if it went out and the rabbi and somebody cheated, at least I got it from now on. So they're constantly trying to make sure that the pilot lights are on. But in this establishment, and I'm not, it's not one, this probably happened a dozen times, the pilot lights were out, which means that, again, the owner didn't know it, the mashkiach didn't know it, and Rabbi Wiener, who's only going to go in once in a while, only periodically, he caught it. And not once, but probably a lot of times in different places. So that's these are signs that the hashkocha isn't running that effective. Now, again, I'm taking you, I'm taking away from everybody. Look, anything can happen once or twice. Anything can happen. And of course, he's going into places for 19 years. He's, he's catching things. But the question is that, you know, he's not part of the team. He wasn't supposed to be there. So what happens if he didn't come? Think about it. If he didn't come, then who think, think about how many times somebody was doing something wrong and there was a mashkiach and the owner's from and, uh, and the mashkiach is the best in town. And yeah, but things are still going on. So this is really very strong words. Another one, an establishment producing food with no mashkiach and no shomer Shabbos on the premises. The non, okay. He saw, he came in. Where's the mashkiach? Oh, he's not here. Where's the owner? He's not here. And everything's going on. All the workers are doing the way, the cooking and this and that. What's going on here? The, there's a requirement that every hashkocha has that we're supposed to have either a mashkiach or a designated shomer Shabbos person in the building, work aware of what's going on all the time. Now, maybe yeah, two minutes here, two minutes there. But when we say he wasn't there, we don't mean he was. He, he just went to the base. Like he said, came out again. No, no, he, he's, he's finishing up Elenu. No, we're talking about that there was nobody there and nothing. Rabbi Wiener calls up the Rav Amarsha. Rav Amarsha runs out of his house, runs over there, and tries to control the situation. But but Rabbi Wiener caught it, not the and, and the mashkiach wasn't on the job. Uh, these some these certainly are uh, red flags. These are red flags. We had a situation last summer which was atrocious. It was absolutely atrocious. 
And, and if you don't know about it, I'll say it again. And if you, if you do know about it, okay, so you hear one more time. I think it's three or four young men, I don't think it was more than that, were trained how to inspect vegetables. They went to a course. They actually paid for it, an expert in the field. And uh, they were all in learning in one yeshiva. And somehow I think that person may have some shaykhs to the yeshiva. And they, and they were trained. And they were trained good. And these are young guys. They are in the, they're, in their, they're all in their 20s. And uh, they're fast. And they're smart. And their eyes are perfect. And, they're, and, they're, and, they, and they, got, they got the training. So they figured, why not try? We'll go into a store. Let's see, what's, let's see what we got here. Let's see if the hashkachas are doing the job. So they go into one store and buy some vegetables, a salad. It could cost $11. A salad is a salad. And they check through it. Four thrips, two aphids, um, a mite, a this, six, seven, five, six, seven. Fluke. must just happen one time. They do another one. They do another one. Different stores. Different ashkachas. All over Flatbush. That's all they went. All over Flatbush. And what they discover, it was basically universal. Now, obviously, some were worse, and sometimes were worse, and some stores were worse. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there is a variation. But nobody was picking up all the bugs. They were in the salad. What what they going to do? So they reported it to the Ashkachos, and they reported it to the store, whatever they do, reported it to everybody. What happened? As a result of that, and it's a long story. I don't want to go into it, but it's a long story. But some of the organizations, I didn't say all, but some of the organizations had got special training for all the mashkicha. Some organizations decided they're only going to use special uh, ones that are prepared by the by Ashkachos that they accepted, that were like prepared specially, you know, where they come in packages with good hashkach on them. And others hired as trained and hired special mashkichim were paid a very top dollar to go for two hours into the store, two hours in that store, and they're making the vegetables for them. Some sto- some hashkachas did that. Another hashkachas said, we're perfect. Okay? Now, Rabbi uh, Rabbi Wiener was not involved in this thing. But I'm just pointing out that that was going on here in our community. Did you know? Were you told? Did anybody write it up and import it? Basically not, because we didn't want to hurt anybody. Everything was done behind the scenes. Everyone was reported to. I was involved in, in part of it. Uh, I, didn't, uh, have, I didn't have anything directly involved with it. I was involved in part of it. One part that I was involved in was trying to get certain hashkachas to, uh, to get training. As a result of the training, it significantly changed here in Flappers. That I can tell you significantly changed in Flatbush. Is there anybody monitoring it now? No. Not KIC, not me, not those fellows. Nobody is. Nobody is monitoring the vegetables here. And and I got news for you. Nobody's monitoring the vegetables anywhere. Not in New Jersey or in in Long Island or or anywhere. Don't don't worry. Nobody is helping out with this problem. It's either the Hashgacha does it right or they're doing it wrong, and that's what it is. My personal feeling, and I don't want to stress it too much, is at least be very conservative about this issue about vegetables inspection. 
first thing is when you go to a catered affair or you go to a restaurant, don't ask, you know, where you get your tuna fish from. Presumably the Hashgacha knows all that stuff. Ask what's, who's, who's doing the vegetables. I heard a story. I'm not going to give you details, but I heard a story. One rabbi asked a mashkiach, who trained him in checking vegetables? His answer, my mother. That's right. His mother taught him how. Well, I don't know how old he was. I don't know, you know, I don't know who trained her. But his mother trained him how to check vegetables. Dashkacher did not. Time and time and time again, I have the found out that Mashkichim will put in without the Rav Hamachshir knowing that they were there. A gentleman, uh, Mashkiach, he's busy. I got to go to something, a certain thing he had to go to. He, had, so he wanted to get a replacement. So he got a replacement. Never got an approval from the Rav Hamachshir, never got an approval. He worked it out with the owner. He told the owner, I won't be here. And pay him at the end of the day. And the Ramachshir never found out. I was involved in a story. You won't believe this story. This, this will not, you won't, you'll think I'm making this up. But it, I wasn't. The gentleman came to my house. He was complaining about something about the Hashgacha. I went to the Rav Ramachshir and I said, this gentleman came. I don't, first I didn't tell him the name. I don't, I don't know what it was. He found out who it was that came to me. Maybe I did tell him. I forgot how it worked out. And he said to me, he's working for me? I said, he's been there for weeks. I didn't know. I would never let him work for me. (laughs) You have a a hashkocha. That place, by the way, has like 100 stores. You have a hashkocha, and you don't know who's working for you? I mean, something is wrong. Something is definitely wrong. So when Rabbi Wiener went to these places and he spotted something and he improved the system, that's serious because, unfortunately, without the KIC, nobody's watching anybody anytime. So at least this way, some things were caught, some things were reported, some things were changed, somewhat we were protected, and hopefully into the future we'll get better. But without anybody watching, without anybody going there, it would be terrible, absolutely terrible. Each one of these little things that I'm reading to you, I'm only reading one paragraph. I'm not, I haven't gotten my article, one little paragraph. And it's so filled with information about what's going on in Flatbush. Not, I'm not talking about Kentucky. If you're listening to Kentucky, so I don't know anything about Kentucky. I know Flatbush. Listen to the next part. An establishment, this is Rabbi Wiener, Moshe Wiener, who had been the, the, the Kashmir's coordinator or the rabbinic administrator of the KIC in, here in Flatbush for the last 19 years, just retired. And I'm writing the story up about his life and the experiences in the head. So this is in the next one. An establishment, okay, we did that one. Non-Jews in possession of the keys to the establishment. Well, we mentioned that story, but he's finding it. And he's reporting it to the Hashkacha, which means the Hashkacha did not know that in that establishment the non-Jews have the keys. They did not know. Let me explain to you what it means that the non-Jew has the keys. First of all, I told you the story about the Kiddush. 
listen to a story. I think I hear. I think I was told once before. I was invited to uh, to to uh, to be a Masada Kedushin at a certain wedding. So I said, you know, you have to have a good place. I, I'm a very machped on the kashrus. They said, yeah, we're going to use this place over here. I said, this place? That's the one one of the few places I would tell you never to go there. So they, because I know the whole setup over there. So he said, but I want to go there. And we, they, we gave him $1,000 already deposit. I said, listen, I have a person who is great. And he could be a, he could be an additional mashkiach. It will cost you $1,100, $1,100, or whatever it was, in order to have him say that everything is okay at this affair. In order to do that, he has to come there when they're preparing the food, and he has to make sure that he secures it, that nobody else got into that food and used it, and he secured it. It's wrapped up with tape, whatever he uses, to make sure that that food doesn't move. And then he's got to come back on the day of the affair and make sure that everything runs perfectly. And it's worth about, it's over a thousand dollars, maybe fifteen hundred dollars. He was going to charge eleven hundred. So I said, so I said, if you want him, then I'll be due the wedding. So he so he said, okay. <laughs> so he sends this guy down, he comes down with him, and the fellow looks through it, this rub, this rub looks through it. This rub is Ben Torah, top Ben Torah in the Chash of Yeshiva, and he was giving hashgacha to a certain caterer and knows the business inside out. He comes back and he said, I won't take it, he tells me. Tell him I can't take it. Why? Why don't you take it? It's $1,100 or whatever it is. It's real money. He said, because I could tell that this man, the owner, once had the keys to his establishment. He once had the keys to his establishment, and he's not religious. And even if he now doesn't have the keys, I would not give hashgacha to somebody who is not religious, who had the keys to his own establishment one time, which means he knows how to cheat, which means he, he has it in the bones. He is not a person I would trust. So he refused to make the wedding there, and we had to make it someplace else. Now, my friend said, what do, I, what do I pay him? I said, give him $100 and thank him. Thank him very much that so he didn't do it. And that's what happened. And it was a beautiful wedding. Everything worked out fine. But I would never eat, I, I would never trust that place again, ever. So it was just really very, very important. The non-Jew has the keys. Then there's no hashkach anymore. He could put anything he wants in, take anything he wants out, replace it with anything, and he could do it in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane. And this is what he discovered. And Hashgach didn't know. Another one. Romaine lettuce and broccoli being used with no inspection. Oh, come on. No inspection. He saw it. Now, I, I know a Mashgich that saw it, and he was threatened very seriously threatened by the owner. And foolishly, he listened to the owner and didn't report it to the Hashkacha. Because remember, who's paying him? The, the owner pays him. And he also threatened him. And it wasn't, it wasn't threatening with the dollars. It was threatening with something else. And the man acquiesced 
and he didn't tell Vashkacha that they put in a lettuce that had never been checked. But this does go on. And, you know, why is Rabbi Wiener catching it? He also saw cheese that wasn't Chav Yisrael. You know, standard problems there. This gives you a little idea. These are some of the things that Rabbi Wiener discovered in stores here in Flatbush over the years. Were there more? Hundreds more. I heard many of them. There were so many of them. Was it terrible and every day, everything? No. No, it wasn't like that. No no one's any good? No, didn't say that. But the very fact that such things occur means that the present hashkacha that we have in these stores, meaning the mashkirim, are not necessarily on top on top of their game. That's what it sounds like. I'm going to just share with you because I don't have the time to go. I want it's already uh, you know, we want to go into the other section. Rabbi, before yeah. we go into that, I have a question. Why did not Ashgachais require? Training the mashgiach before oh, that's it, you know. That's and we're coming up to that one okay, now. Okay. We're coming up to that I'm one sorry. now. Uh, why <laughs> we're not going to be able to answer? But here's what I I thought was very interesting. I, really, when I was interviewing Rabbi Wiener, I found I was caught off guard when he gave these answers. I was expecting something completely different. My question to him was, "What would be your laundry list for what needs to be improved in kosher establishments?" I don't know what you thought. I didn't expect what he said. He said three things. Number one, the quality of the mashkiach must be improved. You hear that? The quality of the mashkiach must be improved. This has to become more worthwhile for, for mashkiach. It's got to get paid more money. In Flatbush, the top, the mashkiachim, $16, $17 an hour. There are people who are cleaning the houses that are getting close to that. For that, close to that, the numbers I heard were up to were around fifteen. So I don't know if that's really true, and all, all the ladies take that money. But still, in all, in today's day and age, seven sixteen seventeen dollars an hour is very 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 low. Uh, in many places outside of Flatbush, are getting paid much more. And uh, any and any any regular job, which you should pay more than that. So number one is the the money that's paid. Number two, the mashgiach's standing must be elevated by training before and during his employee. Which is just what you're saying. Now I know communities where they have a lot of training. Even then, it's it's not that much, but it's regular. Um, in one place in particular, down in Florida. They have, I think, every two weeks a training situation. Now, of course, everybody says that we're doing training. Uh, like, for example, uh, some of the one big, couple of big hashkachas, two big hashkachas that I'm thinking of, they have once a year, one day, and it's like not as good, nice speeches, and they give a good meal, and they talk a little bit, and they share information. It's a very nice program. I never went, but I've heard about it. It's a very nice program. But it's not what I would call a real in-service training. You need to have experts come down and train them. Let me ask you something. You, if you, are you familiar with the chinuch system we have in America today in all yeshivas? Well, I am. And when I started teaching many, many years ago, there was, there was no, nothing at all. 
And we were begging for different types of things. But today, at least in the girls' schools, and I think in the boys' schools too, but I may be wrong, but in the girls' schools, they definitely have some training. I don't know if it's a couple times a year, whatever it is, some little bit of training they have. And it's pretty, you know, important training. And in the boys' schools, they're also giving training. I was told about some of the boys' schools getting some sensitivity training for handling special children who have different different kinds of needs and uh, different backgrounds and problems and identifying problems in schools. I don't say it goes on all the time. I don't say all the rabbis go. I don't say every yeshiva participates. But there are things in Chinuch. Maybe not so much there either. Maybe there should be much more. But definitely, Kashrus needs training. You know, if if a if a person is always thought of as just you know doing going through the motions every day, that we don't expect him to be able to catch anything else. He won't if he is not made aware of the kinds of things that are going to come up. He w- they'll just pass him right by, just like in that town they all ate chalev, and when Rabbi Juravel finished with them, and they showed them to them. They had to make an announcement in all the shuls to kasher all of your meat equipment. Everything. And that's where they paskened. A lot of people, you know, ah, could be this, could be that, who knows, but the love, I don't know. There's a lot of people who waffle when it comes to telling the people that. But that town took the hit and said, kasher everything. Now, if I was in that town, I would yell at the Ravamachshir, at the, what kind of business? What did, why didn't you know? In the, okay. But he didn't care. He said, that's what we have to do. He and the rabbis, that's what we have to do. We have to protect the people. And even if it's a suffix or this or that, we paskin, whatever. And that was it. They, that was the announcement. He told me the story himself, the rabbi, from that, 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 from that hashkocha. That I, he, had to, he, he just told everybody the kasher. So, you know, we, 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 do, we do need uh, qualified mashkichim. So, number one, quality of the mashkich. Number two, Rabbi Wiener says, respect for mashkichim should always be a priority. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is something that everyone in the field must work towards. A mashkich can only do his job properly if he knows that people are standing behind him, backing him up. This is absolutely crucial. And it's it's got to do with, it's not just a question of being a nice guy and caring about the mashkir. If you care about kashras, you have to care that the mashkir is being treated well. That means by workers, it means by the owner, it means that you, the rubber mashkir, has to treat him well. It has to be that he goes home at the end of the day with a half a smile on his face. Because if he goes down, goes home absolutely, you know, uh, sulking and sad and, and upset, then he's, he's not going to be very productive the next day. And when you're not thinking about the job in a positive way, a proactive way, things get past, past you. And he wouldn't even know. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of it. Now, number three, he said, the mashkiach must be paid by the cautious agency, not by the owner. See, Rabbi Wiener sees that as a major thing. He realizes, and I've, I, I discovered this a few years ago, somebody put me on to it, that that probably is the biggest problem we have in Kashrus today, that we are being, that, that all the people, all the mashkir are being paid from 
the owners. Now, there are a few places in the world, in Canada, in Montreal, they're paid by the Kashas organization. In Petach Tikva in Israel, and I think there'll be more in Israel as, as a result of Petach Tikva. In the city, Petach Tikva, all of the rabbinic, all the, the rabbinates, Hashgachas, over 300, maybe it's more than 300, but at least I remember the number 300. So it was, a, it was quite a bit. All of them are now paid by the Hashgacha, by the rabbinate, not by the owners. It's a change. It just went into effect a few months ago. And not even a few months ago, less than a few months, about a month and a half or something, a month. And that's definitely something that should be copied by everybody. Will it happen quickly? No. But it should be a goal. It should be a goal. And I I don't think it has to be uh, across the board with one shot. See, in Petak Tikva, there was a lot of antagonism against the rabbinate, and they did this to get everybody on board. So I, I understand that they they did it all at one shot, and it was a big, big undertaking. But I think if people could go for it a little slower, it could be something that could be done in pieces, and then eventually you, you go on to it and say that's our new rule, and you have to follow. Uh, now, what they did in, in Petach Tikva was amazing. They didn't go ahead and say, the rabbin is going to pay you. They got a manpower organization that hires people and gives people out. So the mashkichim were actually employees of the manpower organization, and the manpower organization had the contracts with the different uh, establishments so that actually they weren't being paid by the rabbin and they weren't being paid by the owner. They're being paid by a middleman. I don't know how much dollars they lose on that, but it's a very clean system because the rabbin that gets involved in paying out money, you could imagine you can get into a lot of problems, especially if the money isn't being collected well. And these manpower places, they know how to do it. And they know, they know how to do it, and they, how to get, they, and they know how to work with the, with the workers. It's a good system. It's, it's uh, you know, like a union, but it, I think it's much more. A, a manpower company probably uh, works much closer with the, with the workers because they're working for him. Not, they're not just in a, a, a group like the, uh, like the unions are. So I think it's a very effective system. Hopefully we'll see that it does work, and hopefully it'll be copied in, at least uh, in part or somehow in this country. But right now, these were the three suggestions that Rabbi Wiener had for us. The quality of the mashkiach must be improved. Respect for the mashkichim should always be a priority, and the mashkich must be paid by the kashvas agency, not the owner. So that concludes a little bit, a little peek at it. I had a lot of other things from what Barwina's time I wanted to talk about, but I'm not going to do it now. One of the interesting things that came out from all his work were proposals and resolutions for the control of meat, because there was a scandal that happened in Flappish, a number of years ago, I'm not even going to mention any details, and we know there was a scandal in Muncie, and every once in a while there's another scandal, and meat seems to be a major problem, the flow of meat, from its shrita all the way to us, middlemen, it's a big problem, it's been a problem for years, almost uh, for, for 40 years I've seen this going on. So it's really an issue. Uh, and they sat down in Flatbush, 64 rabbis, and they, and they came up with proposals and resolutions. The number is eight of them. Are they being done? 
not to my knowledge. So that's a little bit, gives you a little glimpse behind the scenes because we really weren't privy all these years to what Rabbi Wiener was working on, and I thought that would be something that Flatbush, we certainly should appreciate it, what I did there. And uh, even if you're not in Flatbush, you can appreciate the concept. And I only have uh, 17 minutes, so I don't really have time to do all of what I wanted, but I'll take a little piece of it. Maybe I'll do it some other time, and I can't tell you for sure. But I came across some amazing material in trying to study this thing about the pigs. Now, what the whole thing about the pigs is very simple. There's a rabbi in Israel, he belong, a member of Tsohar organization, which is uh, uh, their uh, religious Zionistic rabbis who are trying to present a new uh, program in Israel, uh, they're challenging the rabbinate on who gives hashkacha. They challenge the rabbinate on uh, who gives, who's allowed to give, uh, uh, who's allowed to marry people. They married thousands of people outside the rabbinate's control. And they have dozens of restaurants that are outside the rabbinate's control. So they're trying to offer an alternative to the rabbinate, which is a very unique idea. And this rabbi, his name is Churlau, and he said that cloned pig is kosher. Now, there's a little misunderstanding because a clone is not, uh, you know, the, the word cloning pig is probably not the way it should be. It doesn't mean this. He probably was talking about making it in, uh, you know, taking the cells and growing the cells that they're talking about now. Because if you take a pig and uh, you, you plant a clone pig as, in the, as an embryo and a female pig and it's born naturally, there's, there's no reason. That's 100% a pig. But he probably meant it was talking about the pig stem cells, which is what they're trying to grow. Uh, they're talking about growing stem cells from pig. And the question was, would it be kosher? And this rabbi said they would be kosher. Now, everybody disagrees with that, or at least most people I know disagree with that. And the problem is that <laughs> this is something that you should know already, that the news, that means that the, all the news media, as soon as this rabbi in Israel, an Orthodox rabbi, said, cloned pigs are kosher, and even parva, he said. So once he said that, every single possible media picked it up. Because that's man bites dog, or in this case, man bites pig. So it, everybody ran after this story. You'll find it in the New York Post and you know, over here. The, all the news media, all this, the agencies that put out the news agencies, everybody grabbed the story and ran with it. And I looked today. I wanted to see who were the responses against it. Who was saying they disagree with it? I could not find any press story giving the other side. <laughs> it's amazing. You could not find, a, coming from a telegraphic agency, you cannot find one other opinion presented. Because when they heard this, the non-religious Jews that ate pigs say, no, they always knew the rabbis wanted the pig. Now they're going to join us. And this one says, yeah, he could, he's going to eat a, this kind of funny pig that's, that's made in a, in a lab. I eat the real thing. <laughs> and it's the same, we're the same as the, the other people. So it, now they're all making fun, 
And that was exactly why all the media picked it up. That's man bites dog or pig, whatever. Man does differently than expected. And that was that story, you can't believe it went viral everywhere you can imagine it's been printed. But nobody has given the other side. So there are articles, but they're not printed. They're all on websites and, uh, you know, good people. And, okay, and from, neighbor, from neighborhood they put out a story. But nothing that, that hit the fan, nothing out there. Why? Because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the other side. It's just too plain. Oh, it's not kosher? <laughs> Didn't realize it. That, they, don't want to, they don't want to go there. They want to hear it's kosher. Pig is kosher. So I'll just give you a few points because we have a very limited time. One of them is Rabbi J. David Bleich, who I like very much. He wrote an article in 2013 on the subject. And a Rabbi Reisman wrote an article, a, a journal called Techumen, in 2014, and Rabbi Yaakov Ariel also wrote on this. He has an article, and Rabbi Spitz wrote a similar thing also. And uh, in, there's an, an article published in Chakira. It's really spelled H-A-K-I-R-A-H. It's a wonderful little publication. I, I spoke to the uh, CEO, editor, uh, owner, whatever it is, a very wonderful man by the name of Zalzer, and he has a, he does a wonderful article, which I, I, I enjoyed very much, and we're going to be reviewing it in my magazine. But the, but the publication is called Chakira, but with H, H-A-K-I-R-A-H. It's a great little publication, and some of the, the articles are very stimulating, and I think uh, most of our listeners would enjoy seeing it. I haven't had a chance to look through many volumes yet. There are a number of volumes that are you can get easily, and you can see them all. They're all available on the Internet free to see them. And the printing um, is something else, but it's very, very, very cheap publication if you want to buy any of them. Anyway, um, he has it, and we'll get to that hopefully a little later, you know what? Let me tell you what it says because the time is going out. That that story is interesting. This this fellow, uh, he and his wife, Rabbi Hoffman, a wonderful piece on it. It's a shame I don't have any time, but this particular article that they refer refer to by uh, uh, Mr. Zeltzer, Ms. Zeltzer, and uh, Mrs. Zeltzer, Heshi and Malki Zeltzer at uh, Zeltzer. Z-E-L-C-E-R. The article is, Why is there no kosher meat or poultry that's certified humane? It's an interesting article. It ties into this topic. But I'll just give you the, the punchline because we don't have much time. So he <laughs> asked, Why don't we have certified humane meat or poultry? It's a very simple answer. He gives the answer himself. He said, Because the there are certifying agencies that certify the meat was done humanely. They raise the animals well. They candle it well. Everything, because you have to agree with the raising of the animal. We're talking about or the, or the chicken. We're talking about how he was treated as a baby. We're talking about how the veal was treated. Ramosh has a chuv on it. It's a big problem, right? So, he, so they want to they want to produce something humane, but you need these certifying organizations. And here's the problem: all the certifying organizations that would call it humane require stunning. And halacha does not allow stunning, so therefore we cannot have a certified humane meat and chicken unless our kosher agencies or a separate organization sets it up. 
And that's what my goal is to try to see if we can tweak, if we can get, if we can get that thing moving. Because it would be a big Kiddush Hashem if the world would see that we do care about Sali Balichayim. In fact, we're the only ones who really care about Sar Balichayim. Nobody else does. The people who don't eat meat at all, they're not, they're not caring about Sar Balichayim. They don't eat meat. And maybe for, even if they don't need it, because it, maybe because it's Sar Balichayim. But, but that's no, that's a no brainer. Because they don't eat the meat. They can always say, don't touch the animal. But I eat meat, and I'm going to do it humanely. That's, that's a chap. That's, that's, that's important. So I think if they'll see that the Orthodox people are taking the whole thing about the treating of the animals and the, uh, the birds seriously, I think it would be an unbelievable Kiddush Hashem, and we'll lead many people back to Yiddishkeit. That's, that's my personal feeling, that it would be a big chesed to the conservative and reform movement to see how we're treating the, um, the most humane, more humane, more concerned about humane than anybody else. I think that's, that's, what a, that's sort of a goal that I have now. Anyway, back to the, um, the, clone, uh, the cloned uh, pigs. So the problem is basically as follows. Some want to say, well, it's microscopic, right? Microscopic. It's, when it starts out as a cell, you can't see it. But the Rabbi Blech, Baich, I'm sorry, and Rabbi Ariel point out that it's not a regular microscopic issue because you manipulate it. It comes from a large animal, and it's going to grow into a visible item. This is not your regular microscopic thing that functions microscopically. This is something that right now I can't see it, but it came from something big. It still retains something from the big one, and it also is going to become big again. So it's not the same as saying it's just it's totally microscopic. It doesn't, that's not its life as microscopic. It's going to go up again. So that uh, that's a question. And um, another one is the uh, another one of the the, the problems is Dabraham Maimed. Um, it seems that a, a Dabraham Maimed is something that makes uh, something else work. The original pig stem cell serves to support the meat that grows. It is the catalyst for the entire process. Why, why can't we? Why are we so worried about gelatin and uh, an ice cream? It's bottle. Probably very little there, but it, it, even if it is bottle, it makes the ice cream. The problem is that the gelatin is a coagulator. With gelatin, jello, and ice cream, and anything, it gives that body and that strength to it. The pig, the the pig cell, is considered to be a, uh, a what we call a mimid, causing the other thing, like the enzymes in the cheese. The enzyme in the cheese are very small. The rennet in the cheese is tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah, but if you're mimid, if you make something because you used rennet or gelatin or the pig cell, then that is considered to be a mimid, and it, even if there's 60 against it, 1,000 against it, 1,500, a million against it, it doesn't matter. It's never a bottle because it, it was needed to make the product. The special halacha called mimid. There's another one, part of this whole thing which is also very strong, very strong opposition to this hetero of the, the pig, and that is that the, the pig cell is taken from a live animal. We do not have today any way to take the cells out from a dead animal. It has to be from a live animal. And it's forbidden for Jew and non-Jew to eat Avermenachai, to eat from a, a living being. It's a Noahide commandment. 
Okay, but the animal died already. But the animals, whatever it is, there's still there's still a question about whether we could ever use this. And for us, we can't use it. It's called Yotzei Menachai. Something that comes from a living being is 100% forbidden to us. To the non-Jews, it may be changed if he dies, but for us, there's no way we could eat this. So uh, unfortunately, even though the rabbi got a lot of press, <laughs> tremendous amount of press, but he didn't express what we would call traditional Jewish approach to this halacha, and uh, we hope and we pray that the uh, that the people, uh, you know, who heard and read all about this thing and got all excited that they're waiting for that uh, pig that they can eat, they can find the whole life they're waiting to be able to eat a little pig with a hetter. <laughs> when now at least that they should see that it's um, that there's no way, there's no way. There's no way at all, and uh, hopefully uh, it, won't, it wasn't too much damage. But unfortunately, as I said, the press, the big press, the the international press, the uh, telegraphic agencies did not pick it up. They're not going to pick up what I'm saying today. They're not going to pick up the articles that I read. They're not going to pick up anything at all. They were happy that they got one rabbi in Israel who was in opposition to the rabbinate of Israel to go ahead and say pig is is going to be kosher if it's if it's cloned and they, and they, and they're, they're happy with that statement and that's going to remain with them forever they're not going to listen to anything that we have to say and not only that but they he also went into and went into whether it's parva or not he said it's parva too so that's a whole discussion I'm not going to get into it tonight cuz there's no time for it the question about whether gelatin is parva what you know what uh, what uh, this cell, you know, is is it uh, is it going to have a status that will be part of a? Now, you should know that Rabbi Ganak from the OU has been quoted. I can't tell you how many times when about the question of laboratory meat, and Rabbi Ganak said, "Yes, we'll call it kosher. We might call it parva, but it's got to be with a whole set of things. It's got to be from a kosher animal." It's got to be slaughtered. It has to. We can't have any uh, uh, blood problems, and blood is a major problem because when you take these, if you apply salt to these stem cells, you'll kill it. So we haven't. I don't know if they're going to be able to find a way to do it properly in a laboratory. Yes, they did. They they made the meat already. <laughs> They had the burgers that were very expensive. The first one was $375,000 to make. It was one little burger, and they had a one, uh, one person from the media, uh, one lady eating it and describing it to the rest of the world. They got it down to about $11 a burger now, if you want. The, but it's not, we, don't, not, we don't have a kosher one. But, the, but if they did a kosher one, it's, in principle, we can imagine a kosher one. But you can't start with a pig. You can't start with a live animal. You can't start with changing the halacha. It just doesn't work. Anyway, this this is a, we're almost at the end. Let me just tell you what this you've been listening to Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And if you have a question or you'd like to get the subscription to Kashrus Magazine, you'd like to see the full article about Rabbi uh, about Rabbi Weiner in the magazine. You'd like to find out more about any of the things we've been discussing on these shows and. Uh, you can just do that by calling us at 718-336-8544, or you can email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, 
at AOL.com. The number again, 718-336-8544. You know, there's a, a wealth of material that we put out, and it's in demand by the people who understand it. You, you have to be a certain type of person who appreciates this and wants to know. And that's the whole concept that we feel that if a person is an educated consumer is the best one. That's the best way for a kosher consumer to be kosher. So thank you very much for listening to Kashris on the Air. We'll speak again next week.